All right, good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Glad to have you here today, and uh, I'm sure you, like everybody, um, are caught up in all that's going on in the Middle East and, and all the tension that's taking place there and the very ominous concerns, really, that it's raising for what's next and where things go from here. And uh, it is certainly uh, a very difficult situation, a very ominous situation for sure. And I thought um, it would be a, a good idea, if ever there was a good time to do something like this, it would be a good idea to, for us this morning to take a look at this whole Arab-Israeli conflict that has been going on now, well, been going on for about 3,000 years maybe. So um, three, is that even fair? Maybe 4,000 years if we take it all the way back to Abraham. So this thing, and, and, and the amazing part, you know, so many people in our world think that the Bible is utterly irrelevant. Now here's the biggest issue that's happening right now in our world, and it is grounded essentially, centrally, completely in the Bible, and in a dispute over the accuracy of the Bible. The Jews, of course, according to the scripture, believe that Isaac is the son of promise, that he's the son that was born from Rebekah, and that um, the promise of God um, will come down through him. The Messiah, all of the blessings of God will come down through that particular line. The Muslims um, reject that idea, and they say the real son of promise was Ishmael. And, and since Ishmael... Uh, and so the blessings ought to be being bestowed upon Ishmael, and from their point of view, the Jews have stolen all of their blessings. And this thing has gone on for, well, it's really gone on, I guess, since uh, the time of Muhammad, because Muhammad is the guy that came along and just rewrote the story, allegedly by inspiration, but came along and rewrote the story, and simply said, no, the, the Bible is wrong, and in fact, Ishmael is a sign. And if you, as you and I listen to that, we could think, so what? Big deal, people killing each other, people at war. But this is, this is absolutely an essential issue, and it really is the crux or the heart of what is driving all of this craziness that's going on in the Middle East. And so I, I think it's really wise for us and important for us to take a few moments to, uh, to look into this and to understand it, because here's, here's what I observe. I, I find that most people really don't understand what's going on. And that there, it's not like it's a story that you don't hear anything about, but people just don't really understand what is this all about? What is Gaza? What is the West Bank? You know, what is, what, in terms of all these uh, surrounding nations, these Arab nations, what's the deal with all of these? How, and so I'd like this morning to uh, take a little bit of time just to kind of look at this issue and uh, dig into it <clears throat> somewhat. And certainly to understand it from a biblical point of view and to understand it from a justice point of view. Obviously, justice is a big issue in our world right now. Social justice wars, everybody wants justice. And this is absolutely a justice issue in this particular case. So I want to give you a title, and I'm stealing the title from um, Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what Psalm 122 advises us to do. And let's take a look at the, uh, the actual text. <clears throat> Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. 
for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 122, 6 through 9. All right, let's take a moment and <clears throat> commit our time and attention to the Lordship of Jesus. Lord, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for this place, all the stuff that you provided. Thank you for every life that's here. Thank you for every life that you've touched. Through this Freedom Church, all these many years, so many lives have been touched, so many seeds have been planted, and we thank you for everyone. And here we are at this kind of ominous moment in history where we're looking at an imminent catastrophe that is about to happen in Gaza and involving all of the major players, really, of the world, involving so much links, so many links with other big-time players and bad actors and terror nations, and it, it all seems sometimes so very confusing and so very hopeless. But it's not, because everything in this world that is taking place is really all about you. It was made by you, it was made for you, and this whole world will be, will be brought to a place where it is in conformity with your highest and best good. And so we thank you, Lord God, that in you we always have limitless hope. In you, we are safe, secure. In you, we are free. In you, we are blessed. So, Lord God, as we, as we meet this morning, we pray that um, we can unpack this story, uh, that it will be um, helpful, that it will be beneficial to have a greater, stronger understanding of this whole situation and how it, uh, how it is unfolding. And Lord, we pray that in any way that we can, that we will be a blessing and that we will continue to be the, the bearers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that that will be our mission always to present the good news of what you did on the cross on our behalf to redeem us and buy us back from a lost and wasted life and lifestyle. So have your way, we pray this morning, Lord God, bless our time. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Uh, all God's people said. All right. So we're watching all of these events taking place on the other side of the world, and, and so much of what's happening right now is unprecedented, and the eyes of the entire world are once again on this little piece of real estate over in the Middle East called Israel. <clears throat> Uh, Jewel had read something earlier, earlier on um, from Kufi. We've been a, a member of Kufi now for probably seven, eight, nine years, something like that. And Kufi stands for Christians United for Israel. It's an amazing organization started by John Hagee, and their primary goal is to sow seeds of peace and goodwill between the Church of Jesus Christ and the Jewish people, the Jewish state. A number of years ago, in 2015, I actually had an opportunity to go with Kufi to the, to the Holy Land. Uh, amazing trip. They, and uh, it was all sponsored by Jewish businessmen. I paid 500 bucks, but what's 500 bucks for a trip to the Holy Land? So I paid 500 kind of as a good faith retainer, but went over there with about 35 other pastors who were from the general Northeast area. And we really got a chance to get in. They, they treat you like a prince over there if you come with Kufi because John Hagee is so respected over there because of his, um, his tremendous work that he's doing to try to sow seeds of peace and goodwill between believers in Jesus Christ and, those, and, and the Jews. So <clears throat> Kufi is a tremendous organization. And um, 
when we got there, we were able to kind of get an in-depth view of so many of the aspects. For instance, they took us up to the very Golan Heights, where the military installations are, where you could look out over into Syria, look out over into Lebanon, see the encampments, see the places where um, various different militia groups are holed up. So it, it was quite an interesting trip. But it brings me back to this idea that People do not think that the Bible is an important thing or has a relevant message for us today. And in fact, the Bible is the underscoring, the basis for the most important things that are happening in the world today. And certainly that is true in terms of Israel and, uh, and what's happening in Israel right about now. So um, as, we, as we jump into it... Um, kind of borrowing a, a phrase from Dennis Prager, who has a number of great videos on, on this whole topic. Um, but he said when, when he was young and he was going to school and taking course after course after course, uh, having to do with the Middle East and this conflict and the Jews and the Arabs and all this kind of stuff, um, this was always presented as like the most difficult problem in the world to understand and even worse, the most difficult problem in the world to even think to be able to resolve. But once you spend some time and you dig into this to really understand the fundamental nature of this conflict, you'll find that essentially it comes down to one very simple reality. And this is what it is. One side wants the other side dead. That is the story of Israel. One side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state. It is the only place that the Jews can exist. It is the only such state in all of the world. Um, so they want to live in, a, in their own Jewish state, and they want to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of the Palestinian people to have a homeland of their own and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many Muslims and Arabs will not recognize the right of the Jewish state to exist. That's it, right there. In other words, and, and I'll go through about five different rejections, I think, by the time we get through this message this morning, five different rejections where, where land has been surrendered, where every possible overture has been made by the Jewish people to placate and satisfy the Palestinian people over and over and over and over. Deals have been negotiated, and every time it comes to the end of the negotiation, the answer from the Palestinians is no. <clears throat> so this has been true since 1947 when the United Nations voted to allow the land called Palestine to be divided into a Jewish state and an Arab state. This was all decided on May the 14th, 1948. I want to show you, uh, what did I do with that? Wham. There it is. Let me show you uh, an image here. Okay, this is the original division of the land according to the United Nations decision in, um, in 1948. Now what you'll notice there, the spots that are kind of orangey, right, so you have Gaza to the bottom left of Israel. The, the white or the lightest area is the land that was allocated to Israel and the orangish area is the land that was allocated to the uh, Palestinians, to the uh, Arabs in that particular area. The land there slightly to the left on that map uh, in orange is the West Bank. 
It's called the West Bank because it borders the West Bank of the Jordan River. And that is the area that generally has been under dispute and is today under Palestinian control. By and large, same thing, same thing with Gaza. It is completely under Palestinian control. So these were the original uh, boundaries for the UN two-state solutions. The Jews accepted the terms of the agreement, although the, the land portions that were metered out um, favored the Arabs in a big way. They were being given much more land in the long run than, uh, than the Jews were being given. So the Jews accepted the terms of the agreement, but no Arab state or any Muslim state accepted the terms. Palestine had been governed by the British since the end of World War I. There's this this amazing story of how General Allenby actually came in and took Jerusalem at the end of World War I, which is how it came to be under British control. Allenby sounds like the name um, Allah to the the, uh, Muslims that were holding Jerusalem at the time. And when they heard Allenby, they somehow thought that it was Allah B, and they thought it was somebody who was being sent from Allah. And so Allenby and his troops marched up from Egypt all the way up to Jerusalem, and when he got to Jerusalem, he got off his horse and walked into the city because he felt only the Messiah has a right to ride a horse into this city. He was a God-fearing man, a good man, and the, the, um, the Muslims just capitulated. Up to that point, um, that area had been ruled, the area of Palestine had been ruled by the Ottoman Empire, but the Ottoman Empire was destroyed after the end of World War I, and um, and so the British then came and took possession and had possession of the land of Palestine from the end of uh, World War I. When British rule ended on May the 15th, 1948, one day after the UN decision, the armies of all the neighboring Arab and Muslim states, including Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, all took up arms to attack and destroy the one-day-old state of Israel. That is pretty incredible. In other words, the very next day, Immediately, these other nations that surround Israel um, took up arms to attack and destroy this, this brand new Israeli state. But to the world's amazing surprise, the little Jewish state survived. And then it happened again. It happened again in 1967. In 1967, Egyptian President Gamal Nasser announced his plan to, in his own words, destroy Israel. He placed troops on the border of Israel, and armies of the surrounding countries were mobilized to attack. So not only was this going to be an attack from Egypt, it was also going to be joined by Jordan, by Lebanon, by Syria, um, and all those surrounding nations. Um, He placed, I'm sorry, however, Israel preemptively decided to attack Egypt and Syria and Israel particularly appealed to the land of Jordan not to get involved, not to, not to become involved in this conflict, but Jordan uh, didn't listen, and so they were, mo- they, they were brought into the attack. Um, and because of that, and only because of that, did Israel take control of the Jordanian land, specifically known as the West Bank of the Jordan River. So up to, you see that West Bank area, when the Jews were attacked by the Jordanians, and you see that Jordan is slightly to the right on the map of Israel, when they were attacked by the Jordanians, who the Israelis begged not to get involved in the 67-day war, 
When they did, the Jews had no choice but to drive them back. So they came and pushed in. They pushed all the way to Jerusalem, and they were able, because the original 1947 partition of the land did not include Jerusalem. The Jews had no access to, well, it was, it was identified as an international city. So people could, all nations could come into it, but it really was not under the sovereign control of the Jewish people. When they were attacked by the Jordanians in, in 67, they pushed back, so they were pushing from left to right, or they were pushing east um, on, uh, on that map, <clears throat> and they drove all the way in, pushed them out of the, uh, pushed them out of, the, uh, out of it, Jerusalem, and that's how the Jews came to now be those who occupy the city of Jerusalem, or at least a portion of the city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> so um, shortly after that 1967-day war, the Arab and Muslim nations met together in Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three knows. And here they are. And this is what has governed the entire process and still does. Okay, the famous three no's by the Arabs on behalf of the Palestinian people. One, no peace with Israel. No recognition of Israel. No negotiations with Israel. So that was a decision um, that was made in Khartoum, Sudan, and that is still the platform upon which the Palestinians and the Muslims um, base their, um, their interactions with the Jewish people. So how is Israel supposed to respond to all of this? Well, the one thing that Israel did in 1978 was to give the entire Sinai Peninsula an area of land larger than the new state of Israel um, itself, and, and to give the Sinai Peninsula, which also had oil, back to Egypt, because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace treaty with Israel. That was known as the 1978 Camp David Accords. So Israel, at that time, for the promise of peace with Egypt and for a treaty of peace with Egypt, gave the entire Sinai uh, Peninsula back to, the, uh, back to the Arabs. So Israel gave the land for the promise of peace, and they have always been willing to do exactly the same thing to any of the Palestinian people. All that the Palestinian people have ever had to do was to acknowledge Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state and to live together with it in peace. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in the year 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state handing over 95% of the West Bank and all Gaza, the Palestinian Authority refused the deal and instead began sending waves of suicide bombers into Israel. This was really the beginning of the occasion um, that forced Israel to build a security fence. There is a security fence. Let me take that back for a... There is around that entire central Palestinian... Um, the, uh, the West Bank area, there is a security fence that exists. In some cases where, where there's high population, it is a very ominous, like, 30-foot concrete wall that you can't get around over or under, but you can get through it when they have certain checkpoints. But it is hated by the um, Arab peoples, and it is also derided and hated by the, by the international community because it is seen as an act of oppression. 
And throughout this conflict, the basic thing that drives the entire narrative is Israel is always presented as the oppressor, as the, as the entity that is trying to smother and control some other group. But you'll find out as, we're, as we go through this message that that isn't true at all, that Israel in every way has tried as much as possible to be able to work out a, a negotiated two-state settlement, and, um, and the Palestinians just will never agree to it. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio stations, TV stations, school curricula, media is continuously overflowing with information about the the glorification of terrorists, the demonization of Israel, and the daily repeated message that they hear constantly that Israel should cease to exist. So it's not hard to explain this Israeli-Palestinian dispute. One side will only be happy when the other side is dead. <clears throat> the motto of Hamas, by the way, is as follows. We'll get through this. Oh, there's uh, yeah, another image I, I wanted you to see, because what you're looking at there, you can see that Israel is smaller on that map, because you're looking at the Sinai Peninsula. Now, the Sinai Peninsula, which is underneath Israel, is what was returned to Egypt, or given to Egypt, simply because Egypt was willing to make a peace treaty um, with, the, uh, with the Jews. So all of that land was given up. And Israel has always demonstrated that they are willing to trade land for peace if only people are genuine about their, um, their willingness to actually make peace with the, um, with the Israelis. The motto of Hamas is as follows. We love death as much as Jews love life. It's pretty hard to work with people like that, wouldn't you say? Right? We love death as much as the Jews love life. Now, there are 22 Arab states in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. But there is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey or El Salvador. It's a, a very small territory. But here are a few questions for us to think about. If tomorrow the Jews would declare, we will fight no more, we are laying down our arms uh, against the Muslims, and we, uh, we will no longer um, uh, fight, what do you think would happen? And if tomorrow Arab countries that surround Israel would declare, we're done with war, we're putting down our arms, we are no longer going to fight with the people of Israel, what do you think would happen? What would the outcome of that decision be? Well, in the first case, in other words, that being the Jews who are saying, we are putting down our arms, we will fight no more, there would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. That would be a given. Because, in, in, well, certainly Iran, <clears throat> Iran calls Israel the little Satan, and they want nothing more than to, than to um, cause it to cease to exist. They absolutely despise this little nation. And it is really, I think maybe all of us are breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that the um, Iranians have not yet been able to create a nuclear weapon. Because once they get a nuclear weapon, you can be sure, just like what just happened last Saturday, the atrocities, the murder, the mayhem, the insanity of, of, the, of the things that happened on Saturday morning a week ago 
We're, and I'm sure you've heard all the reports, and it's, it just couldn't be more horrendous. Children being thrown into burning houses, children decapitated, parents shot in front of kids, kids shot in front of parents. Just unbelievable wickedness. And there's really, there, there is rarely a moment of moral clarity like the one that we happen to be living in right now. In other words, it, it doesn't, you don't have to really, you don't have to work real hard to decide who are the bad guys here. When people will come in on Sabbath, okay, will come in, um, and again, whatever happened with Israel's security was quite a surprise because that, that is certainly <clears throat> one of their most important assets that they have very, very high security. So anyway, but for all of that to happen on Sabbath at the end of Sukkot, now Sukkot is a feast that the Jews celebrate that brings them back to the, 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 the wilderness time when they... When they um, wandered in the wilderness, and, and lived in, booth, in booths or tents. And this was like the final day. It was a big, supposed to be a big celebration day. That's why they're having the big music festival down there close to, uh, down in southern Israel. And so <clears throat> right at that particular time, in come these Palestinian t t um, terrorists, and they just absolutely wreak havoc. So if... <clears throat> in the first case, if the Jews said they will no longer fight, there'd be immediate destruction and mass murder. In the second case, if the Arab nations said we will no longer fight Israel, there would be peace the next day. And you can tell what, even, even when you're over there and having, you know, Lorraine and I went back in 07 and I went in 15, and you can sense the weariness of the Israeli people to constantly have to deal with someone who wants to take them out. There are rockets that get fired. As you know, there were over 5,000 rockets fired this week out of Hamas, just indiscriminately, not pointed at anything particularly, just shoot them up in the sky and hope that they come down and land on some Israelis. And so if the, if the, uh, Israel, if the uh, Palestinians would put down their weapons, there would be peace. If the Jews would put down their weapons, they would be dead. <clears throat> now, there's something that is important with this to keep in mind, sorry. Uh. Um, <clears throat> and this is what it is. There has never been in this geographic area that today is known as Palestine, um, there has never been a state there that was not specifically Jewish. Modern Israel is really the third Jewish state to exist in that geographical location. The first kingdom existed roughly from the time of David, 1000 BC to 586 BC when the Babylonians came in and uh, leveled Jerusalem. And uh, that was the, the, the first kingdom existed. Then, then the Jews were exiled to Babylon for, seven, for 70 years. And the second kingdom of Israel ran from about 538 B.C. to about 63 B.C., the time of Herod. And modern Israel is the third Jewish state. There was never an Arab state. There was never a Palestinian state. There was never a Muslim or any other state. There was never a land. The, the word Palestine was given... Um, by the Romans because they wanted to change the designation of the land of Israel because after they came in and destroyed Israel in, in 70 AD, they just wanted these people to be gone. They were a nuisance and so they went in and they, they laid waste to Israel. And it was really the beginning. The, the, the destruction of the uh, Jewish temple in 70 AD was really 
from certainly from a biblical or from a Christian point of view, was the, the end of Judaism as a means by which people can approach God, okay? And, and, and it seems as though God spoke very loudly at that time and really crushed the culture of the Jews and sent them in all kinds of directions where they existed for the last 2,000 years. The miracle of miracles is that somehow they attain, they retain their identity and then wind up back in their own homeland in 1948 by decision of the UN Nations Charter. That is crazy. That's an amazing thing, that somehow or another this little group of people who are scattered all over the world maintain their customs, maintain their traditions, maintain their lifestyle, maintain all of the accoutrements of their relationship to God except the fact that they don't have a temple to offer sacrifices, a priesthood to, you know, to basically officiate and, and actually take care of the, 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 uh, the, the laws and the rules and the, the uh, regulations of the Jewish people. They no longer have a priesthood, but it is an astonishing thing thing that those people kept their identity and were still identifiable enough to be able to return back to their homeland. Of course, the Holocaust had a great deal to do with that, too. The Holocaust um, aroused great international um, sympathy all over the world. And so at the end of World War II, uh, at the end of World War II, the British were so tapped out by the, by the Second World War, that, as I mentioned before, they were actually in control of the land of Palestine from the end of the First World War. They went to the United Nations and said, you got to do something about this. We can, there's nothing we can do about it. We're totally depleted. There's no energy. There's no money. There's nothing for us to be able to take care of these people. We're out. We're turning it back over to you, and you guys are going to have to figure out what's supposed to happen next. <clears throat> now, there were a lot of people thinking about what did need to happen next. <clears throat> So, um, here's the question. If Israel just allowed the Palestinians to have a state of their own, there would, be, would there be peace in the Middle East? That's what you hear from UN ambassadors. That's what you hear from European diplomats. That's what you hear from most college professors. And that is certainly what we hear from the media. <clears throat> but the truth is that Israel has already offered the Palestinians a secure state of their own, not just once, but on five separate occasions. Now, many people may find this hard to believe, but it's true. And let's review the record. Now, I will demonstrate it. After the breakup of the Ottoman Empire following World War I, Britain took control of most of the Middle East, including the area that constitutes most of modern Israel. 17 years later, in 1936, the Arabs rebelled against the British and against their Jewish neighbors. The British formed a task force. It was called the Peel Commission to study the cause of the rebellion. The commission concluded that the reason for the violence was that you had two peoples, Jews and Arabs, who both wanted to govern the same land. The answer, according to the Peel Commission in 1936, was that um, two separate nations or two separate states needed to be created, two independent states, one for the Jews, one for the Arabs. This was known as the two-state solution. I think we have, yeah, so, yeah, that's the, the, basically the same, the same map. <clears throat> Um, that was, <clears throat> that was, that's not really the Peel Commission's map, but it's close and it's ultimately what it, be, it came to be in the um, United Nations decision. <clears throat> the suggestion, the, the suggested split heavily favored the Arabs. The original treaty, treaty offered to the Arabs, um, the Arabs were given 80% of the existing territory. The Jews were offered 20%. 
Okay, so the Arabs were offered 80%, Jews were offered 20%. The Jews voted to accept the offer. But the Arabs rejected it and resumed their violent rebellion against the people of Israel. That was rejection number one. <clears throat> Ten years later, in 1947, the British, exhausted from World War II, called upon the United Nations to get involved and find a solution to resolve the ongoing tension. And like with the Peel Commission, the UN decided that the best way to resolve this conflict was to divide the land. In November 1947, the UN voted to create two states. Again, the Jews voted to accept the offer, and the Arabs rejected it. Only this time, they rejected it by launching an all-out war. And that was what we spoke about before. This was the day after the UN made their decision. The very next day, Syria, Lebanon, Transjordan, Egypt, all of, and Iran, no, Iraq, um, all joined together to attack Israel the next day. And somehow, by miracle of God, the little nation survived, all one day old. They have no army, they have no organization, they have nothing. And yet they are attacked by all of these other nations that are, that, that are military well-prepared, well-supplied, and they somehow beat them all back. <clears throat> so that was rejection number two. Um, Jordan, Egypt, Libyan, I'm sorry, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq all joined the conflict, but they failed. Israel won the 1947 war and got on with the business of building their nation. <clears throat> uh, most of the land set aside um, by the UN um, for it was for an Arab state. The West Bank and East Jerusalem became occupied territory. But they were not occupied by the Jews. They were occupied by the Palestinians. Now today, everything is said to be occupied territory. You, you hear this term being thrown out all the time, the occupiers. And, and Basically, that is a statement that the Jews have no business being in the land of Israel, and every, every square foot of territory that they have, um, they have no right to whatsoever. But the Jews are not the occupiers. In this particular case, it was the, uh, it was the uh, Jordanians who were the occupiers of that West Bank. 20 years later, in 1967, the Arabs, led by Egypt, joined by Syria and Jordan, sought again to destroy the Jewish state. This is known as the Six-Day War, the 1967 Six-Day War. And it ended in a stunning victory for Israel. Israel had gotten some intelligence that things were about to happen. They sent out two preemptive strikes, one to Egypt and one to Syria. And then they went on the attack to the other countries. And, and, the end, and, and within six days, Israel had quelled all violence and had won a stunning victory. Once, once Israel picked up all this new real estate, because again, in this war, the skirmish, when they were attacked, this again is another one of the very unjust things that, go, that continually takes place in Israel. When the Jews themselves are attacked, they re respond by fighting, and they have driven uh, the Palestinians or the Arabs or the Muslims out of areas that they formerly controlled, such as the Golan Heights, such as the Gaza Strip, such as the West Bank. They've driven them back out of there. And then after it's all over, the Palestinians say, oh, can we have our land back, please? And that's the way it's worked, over. And then the international community climbs on board, and the UN climbs on board, and everybody blames Israel. But Israel's saying, hey, you attacked us. 
You attacked us and tried to kill us. We pushed you back. We will keep, we will retain that real estate that we have. And they, they still are in, in uh, control of the Golan Heights and also of that area there <coughs> known as the West Bank. So <coughs> with all this new uh, real estate, they had to decide what to do with it all. Um, half of them wanted to return the West Bank to Jordan and return Gaza to Egypt in return for peace. The other half wanted to give it to the region's Arabs in the hope that they would ultimately build their own home state there. Neither of those two ideas really gained very much traction, and then a few months later is the time when the Arabs met together in Khartoum for their famous three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no, neg no, no negotiations with Israel. Once again, a two-state solution was rejected by the Arab peoples. That was rejection number three. In the year 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak met at Camp David together with Yasser Arafat, the PLO chairman who looks like Ringo Starr, and uh, they came to conclude a new two-state plan. Bar Barak offered, a pal offered the Palestinians a Palestinian state, as well as all of Gaza and 94% of the West Bank and East Jerusalem as its capital. Let me say that again. Okay, the deal that Ehud Barak offered the Palestinians was they, would they, they could set up a Palestinian state, they would receive all of Gaza, they would get 94% control over the West Bank, and they could use East Jerusalem as its, and East Jerusalem would become the capital of the Palestinian people. Once again, the Palestinian leader rejected the offer. Yasser Arafat rejected the offer. According to, the, to, uh, to Bill Clinton, he said Arafat was here for 14 days and he said no to everything. And that has essentially been the deal. Every time overtures of peace, offers of peace, trading land for peace, any possible means by which Israel, because as, as I said, when you're, when you're there or you meet people, if you meet people from Israel, all they are is worn out because you never know when rockets are going to come down and you never know when a terrorist is going to jump on a bus or some terrible thing is going to happen. And so it just wears them down and all they want to do is live peaceably. So Arafat, uh, Clinton said Arafat was here for 14 days and said no to everything. <clears throat> Instead, the Palestinians launched a, a bloody wave of suicide bombings that killed over a thousand Israelis and maimed thousands more. They did this on, in wedding halls, they did this in uh, buses, pizza parlors, wherever. This is the time when so many um, Islamic terrorists were sneaking in because the, bo the border of Israel was very porous, and so people could kind of sl uh, slip into Israel and then climb on a bus stra you know, strapped up with dynamite and blow the thing to pieces. <clears throat> so in 2008, Israel tried one more time. Prime Minister Ehud Olmert went even further than Ehud Barak had. In addition to all that was offered before, including, and this was the, this was the package, a Palestinian state, all of Gaza, 90% of the West Bank, East Jerusalem as the Palestinian capital, and just to sweeten up the deal a little bit, additional land. <clears throat> Mohammed Abbas, who is the head of the Palestinian Authority, turned the deal down. So there have, in essence, been five complete rejections of any offer on the part of the Jewish people to try to 
bring peace into that area. They have tried again and again, and the roadblock is the Palestinian um, or the Muslims or the Arabs. They absolutely refuse to acknowledge. That is really the only thing that the Jews, because they have no other place to go. It's not like if there are, as I said before, there are 22 other Arab nations in the world. We hear about the plight of the Palestinian people and that they, are, they have been driven out of their homeland, okay? But there are, there are Arab nations everywhere. Most of the Arab nations didn't want the Palestinian people and do, still don't want them because they're seen as people who make trouble and people who are problematic. It is not kind of respected as a, as, a, as a people group. And so the other Arab nations haven't really wanted them to come there. And so it, it has broken down into this stalemate of the Palestinians who's, who kind of claim there's no place to go. But there's all kinds of places for them to go if they wanted to, and places uh, that would accept them. But the Jews have nowhere other than Israel um, to, uh, to live. <clears throat> so in between these last two offers, in 2005, Israel unilaterally left Gaza. I don't know if you remember what that looked like, but in 2000, this was, this was right prior to Hurricane Katrina. We actually had a guy who was here and spoke to us a couple of years later. Um, I'm losing his name right now, William. Anyway, he, he had been a... White House correspondent. He was a member of the White House correspondent team. He wrote this book called Eye to Eye, and he was, and he was writing the book about the George Bush presidency. And right at that particular time, roughly September of 2005, George Bush was putting lots of pressure on Ariel Sharon to, take, to, to force all of the people who had settled in the Gaza Strip out. And so with that decision, all of the Jews were absolutely required to get out of Gaza. They completely left it behind. All Jews, all settlements were completely, went north, and, and they abandoned their presence there completely. That was in 2005. The guy who had wrote the book said that Katrina was kind of swirling in the Caribbean right at that time, and his, his theory was that this was God's way of say, sending a message to America that you don't have any right to tell the Israelis where they should be or where they should live, and, and to put pressure on them in that way. But right at that time, um, at the time of Katrina, the Jews completely vacated, completely left Gaza, and it has been entirely 100% Palestinian ever since that time. All, Israel, all Israelis left. The Palestinians were in complete control in, in Gaza, but instead of developing the territory for the good of its own people and the citizens, the Palestinians, under the leadership of Hamas, turned Gaza into a terrorist base from which they launched and fired thousands of rockets into the land of Israel. You see all that that's going on right now, and that has been going on since 2000. Each time Israel has agreed to a Palestinian state, the Palestinians have rejected the offer. Often they have rejected the offer violently. So, if we're interested in peace in the Middle East, probably the answer is not to pressure the Israelis to make yet another offer um, of a state 
to the Palestinians, maybe the answer is to finally put the pressure on the Palestinians to accept the fact that the Jewish people have a right to exist somewhere, and they have more of a claim on that piece of real estate than any other people group on earth. And we're not even bringing in the biblical claim or even the the, the fact that God granted that land to Abraham. But even without that, this, this whole situation has been lopsided since 1947. And it isn't really showing any signs of getting any better. And right now it's about to get really, really ugly. So as we conclude here this morning, I hope that that's beneficial and that helps you to see a little. I mean, there's, there's a ton of things that you can, if you want to get into, if you want to learn about this, there's plenty of uh, material that will um, educate you and certainly make you very um, very well aware of the, of the nature of the situation. <clears throat> but as we close here this morning, um, I think that we ought to just follow the advice of Scripture and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? And so that's what I want us to do. Why don't we stand together? There's probably nothing in this world of a more tangible nature that illustrates the sovereign control of Yahweh, the Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ over this planet than this whole matter of the reemergence of Israel in, in modern times. A nation devastated, lost, lost among, in, in, in all kinds of corners of the world, and in 1948, after the Holocaust, after all the destruction, they wind up coming back, and again, taking residence in their own home country of Israel, and then they get attacked, and then they get attacked again, and then they get attacked again, and every time they prevail. And it's hard to see it in any other fashion other than it seems like the hand of God is on these people. And God is not yet finished with Israel. There's a lot of, there's a lot of debate, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about what the future for Israel is or how it actually plays in or what God, you know, all of these things are part of like an eschatological end times type of discussion and gets kind of thick and it gets kind of deep in certain places but it is certainly true in, in my judgment it is certainly true God is not done with the Jewish people God has not abandoned the Jewish people we would pray and if we're going to pray for the, the, the well-being of the Jewish people let's pray for a revival in Israel. Let's pray for a great turning to Christ. Would that be an amazing miracle that the Jewish people begin to realize that they have rejected the Messiah of the world, that he came into his own and his own did not receive him? I'm glad it says, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to as many as have believed in his name. That's me. Is that you? You a believer? Amen. Let's take a few moments. Let's lift up our voices. I don't want to just be the only person in this room that's praying, okay? I, I would want us all, you don't have to shout, you don't have to scream, you don't have to do any cartwheels or anything crazy, but let's lift up your voice and let's call upon the Lord and let's ask God to bring revival to Israel, to bring strength to Israel, to give wisdom to the leaders of, of uh, Israel right now in terms of their military. God, sovereignly control this thing. Let's do that, shall we? Oh, Lord, we lift up our voice today in response to the instruction, the guidance of your word. Pray 
for the peace of Jerusalem. Oh God, that land has been under assault and under tension for so long. But we ask, oh Lord God, that you sovereignly fulfill your plan, fulfill your purpose in the nation of Israel. You brought it back to life. You, it was the dry bones. It was the dead bones laying in there and as if the spirit asking um, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And indeed they could live and they are living and you have brought life back to the dead by bringing this nation back to life in modern times. So God, we pray for this nation. We pray right now as they face the terrible choices that they have to face, as, they, as the wounds of a week ago are still festering and still hurting, as the people themselves are no doubt in all kinds of confusion and mayhem and fear and discouragement. God, we just lift up this nation. We lift them up before you, O oh Lord God. We lift up their leaders. We pray for... Um, Netanyahu, oh God, we pray for Bibi Netanyahu. We ask you, Lord, to be upon him and give him insight and understanding and wisdom. We pray for all the commanders and the leaders, the military people, all the people that will be involved in all of the carnage that is about to happen. Oh God, we lift up our voice before you and we ask, oh Lord God, that you, your will, your purpose will prevail in this matter. And God, we pray also for the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people, many Palestinian people are Christian people, good people, people who love the Lord, caught, caught in the middle of a terrorist organization. We lift up the Palestinian people, oh God, and particularly now with all of them having to get out of Gaza, having to get south, and having to get somewhere. Oh God, we lift up this situation to you this morning. And Lord, we pray that you yourself would be victorious. You, you yourself, oh Lord God, would be exalted in this matter. And God, we know that you are the God who works all things together for good for those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. And so, Lord God, we pray and look forward to your solution to this matter. We pray that you will give, we will give wisdom. And we pray also, oh Lord God, for a a revival in Israel. We pray that the gospel will go forth in Israel. We pray for Jewish believers who are in Israel that they will be able to carry the message. We pray for open hearts and open ears, open minds, O oh Lord God, among the people of Israel, that they would realize. We pray that you, Messiah Jesus, would make yourself known to the people of Israel so that they might be able to move in to this wonderful thing that you're building called the church. They might be a part of what you are actually doing in the world right now and not part of something that has run its course. So, Lord, we lift up all these matters. We lift up all these people. We lift up this entire situation. We lift ourselves up, oh God. Give us faith. Help us to trust that you are working things out according to your plan and according to your better and higher purpose. We pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. He said, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. You said to our Lord Jesus, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. We ask in Jesus' name, O Father God, that you will give us these nations for our possession, that you will bring salvation and bring deliverance and bring freedom and bring repentance to the nations, O oh Lord God. And Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, O oh Lord Jesus, because we're waiting for you. 
We're waiting for you, and our world needs you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.